So good evening to each of you. Would you turn your Bibles with me this evening to Romans chapter 6. This week, or this, this Friday, Good Friday, and then Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be looking at the powerful effects of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I, I trust that this time in Romans will be a great blessing and encouragement to you, to each of you. That's my prayer. Let's pray one more time this, this evening before we study this part of God's Word together and then share the Lord's Supper. Father, we uh, come to You. Open Your Word. And we ask that You would enable us to see the crucified, buried, and risen Christ. Open the eyes of our understanding. And may we, may we see how You have effected such a powerful change in the life of every Christian because of the work of Christ. Thank You for putting us in union with Him. Thank You for letting His death be ours. His burial ours. His resurrection ours. Teach us, Father, this evening in a fresh way and maybe in a new way for for many of us what this principle that Paul has for us to learn that You gave to him by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Press it into our hearts and may it make a difference in how we live from day to day for Your glory and for the name of Christ. We pray in His name with thanksgiving. Amen. We're going to consider, as I said, the powerful effects of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the title of the sermon that I have prepared for this evening and also for Sunday. Sunday we'll look at Romans 7, Lord willing. And I don't think there's a better Scripture to understand this than Romans 6 and 7 where Paul powerfully brings together the historic, redemptive acts of Christ and our salvation. Let's read this text together. Will you read this with me? And you can remain seated. Actually, i ask you to stand one more time here. Romans 6, 1-14. Let's stand together and read these 14 verses. Let's read them very thoughtfully together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him, In a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has been died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. 
For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you. Please be seated. The main idea of this text this evening, if you are a true Christian, then through Christ, you have died to sin and have been raised to newness of life. This this is a foundational principle of the Christian experience. You have died to sin and have been raised to newness of life. I wonder if we understand this. And how often do we think about this principle? as the Apostle Paul would have us to. And I think that if we do, it will have a radical effect on our lives each day. That's That's what Paul intends. That's what the Holy Spirit intends of this text. And certainly as we walk through this text this evening, we're not going to answer all of our questions. This text is challenging as several texts in Romans are. In fact, the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter said that there were lots of places in Paul's writing that were difficult to understand. And some, sometimes this might be one of those places. But I hope that each one of you, as we work through this text together tonight, that you will at least go away hungry to come back to this text and read it and reread it and think about it and pray over it till you understand it well until it can live in you, in your heart, from day to day. What does Paul mean when he says that we have died to sin and have been raised to newness of life? Well, the Apostle Paul states this principle here. You have died to sin and been raised to newness of life. He he declares this principle beginning in verses 1-3. through That's the first part of this text. He declares the principle. The principle declared. And then you'll see in verses 4-8 through that he explains the principle. And then thirdly, he shows how this principle has been accomplished in verses 9-10. to And then he helps us to apply the principle in verses 11-14. through so first of all, let's, let's look at how the principle is declared. Number one, the principle declared, verses 1-3. through three. And he does this by asking four pr- provocative questions. Can you pick them out? What shall we say then? Here's the first question. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The third question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then the fourth question. Do you not know that all of us 
who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. The first question, what shall we say then? In other words, how do you respond to what Paul has just told us? What's your response to it? And what are we responding to? That's the first question we really need to ask with that. What is Paul inviting us to respond to? What are these things? What shall we say then to these things? And, and what he's referring to is, ver- is chapters 1-5. through five. The Apostle Paul just took us from chapters 1-5 through five on a journey of the Gospel. He's gloriously unfolded it for us. You remember Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. What does Paul say there? The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. As he moves on in Romans chapter 1, we see the depravity of human, human beings. talks about how God revealed His glory through creation and what do natural born human beings do with that glory? We suppress the truth in unrighteousness because we love our sin. And it says in verse 32 of chapter 1 that those who, even though we know the judgment of God for those things, we still do them and encourage others to do them. So Paul is taking us on a journey to explain to us the depravity of human beings. Romans chapter 2, Paul further cements his, his, his description of humanity because there's lots of people that are reading his letter now in, in Romans there that, that they would say, well, I'm not condemned like those people in the first chapter. I'm a guy who knows the law well and judges other people by the law. I'm wealthy. God has blessed me. I hear the law every Sabbath. In fact, I teach God's law. I'm not condemned with all the people in Romans 1. I'm very religious. And Paul comes back to them in Romans 2 and he says, it's not the hearer who is justified before God, but the doer of the law. The one who obeys all of God's laws perfectly. And then we see a such a clear and vivid description of human depravity in Romans 3, 9-20. through Everyone is wicked to the core and no one can be declared right with God by trying to keep the law or be good enough. We can't be before God. Everyone is condemned before the holy God of heaven and earth and worthy of His righteous wrath. We see that in Romans 3. But then the Gospel comes in. He tells us in Romans 3, 21 and following that any sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ can have their guilt removed and their punishment absorbed and they can be dressed in the righteousness of God and stand before God perfect and accepted in love. It's like the breath of fresh air that comes into a very hot, stuffy, intense room. Jesus takes off His robe that is covered with perfection, puts it on us and takes our robes covered with sin and puts them on Himself and is crucified in our place. And then in Romans 4, Paul demonstrates that this is no new doctrine really. Abraham was justified by faith. And so was David. How was it that Abraham was called a friend of God? Was was it because Abraham was good that he was called a friend of God? How was he justified? By faith. Paul demonstrates that. How was David called a man after God's own heart is because he was good. No. David was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar. And yet, 
God justified him by faith. And then Paul comes into Romans 5, 1 through 11, and begins to list the blessings of being justified. You have peace with God. You have access to God. You stand in the grace of God. Even your sufferings become productive and build character in you. The Holy Spirit is given to you. The love of God has been poured into your heart. Blessing upon blessing from being justified by faith, from bearing or being declared righteous in God's sight. And then Paul comes to Romans 5, 12-21, and he unfolds this glorious contrast that becomes the background of Romans 6. This contrast of realms that becomes the basis of this principle that you have died to sin and are raised to righteousness. The two realms, we could put a big title over them. If you can imagine it in your mind, two categories. One, Adam the rebel. Speaking of the first Adam, who sinned and died and took all of humanity with him. But the second category, the second realm, we would call Christ the righteous. The second Adam, he's also known as. The first Adam, the old man. The second Adam, the new man. Adam's realm. Christ's realm. How do we describe Adam's realm and everyone who lives in that realm? Well, Paul unfolds it in Romans 5, 12-21. He says, those who live in this realm are slaves to sin. Sin is a horrible slavery master. And all who serve Him sin. They love sin. They continue in sin. They're bound to sin. They are under the domain of death, right? As as by one man came sin into the world, and by sin then death came as well. They're under the dominion of death. They're under the tyranny of the law. The law says, be perfect as God is perfect, and you will inherit eternal life. And then it condemns them for being sinful. And so, Paul says there that they're under condemnation continually. But that's not what we see in the realm of Christ, right? The realm of Christ is just the opposite. There's not a slavery to sin. There's what? Slavery to righteousness. There's not a dominion of death in this, in this, in this, or while there's a dominion of death in this realm, there's the liberty of life in Christ's realm. There's no longer the tyranny of the law, but the power of grace at work. There's no longer the lordship of works, but the freedom of the gift. There's not condemnation, there's justification being declared right by God. And Paul is telling us here that salvation, justification is God taking people and moving them out of Adam's realm into the realm of Christ. The tyranny, the slavery, the dominion of sin, the dominion of death, the dominion of law is canceled, it's crushed, it's broken, it's severed. And now... People, sinners like us, can enjoy the Lordship of Christ, slavery to righteousness, the reign of grace, life, the gift of eternal life. And it's summed up, notice, in chapter 5, verses 18-21. to Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's Adam and his sin, so one act of righteousness, that's Christ and His death, leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, again comparing Adam to Christ, obedience, the many were made righteous. Notice verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. When Moses was given the law by God, trespasses, our sins were brought to the surface. We saw how great they are. But then where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God's grace and forgiveness. God's grace in taking our guilt and our punishment and putting it on Christ. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, through receiving Him and resting in His saving works, sinners like us can be transferred completely from the realm of Adam to the realm of Christ. By simple faith and repentance, a sinner can be transferred from the tyranny of sin and death and the law to the rule of righteousness and grace and life. And that's, the, that's what Paul is referring to when he says, what shall we say then? What do you say about that? What do you say about that? Just by faith, Christ takes you and makes you His own. This, this transfer is, is spiritual, yes, but it's very real. In fact, it's so real that Paul uses vivid language to describe it. He uses the language of death to one realm and resurrection to another. Paul declares to us in this text that that transfer from the realm of Adam to the realm of Christ means that through Christ you have died to sin. You've, been, you've died to the dominion of sin and been raised to newness of life. That's the principle that is declared all throughout this text. If you're a true Christian then, through Christ, you have died to sin and been raised to newness of life. He says, what shall we say to these things? So what is your response to that? Do you know about these things? Do you understand that? Being dead to sin and alive to newness of life. Do you think about that principle? Do you think about it every day? Paul implies here that if we do it, we'll make a radical difference in the way we live. The apostle anticipates at least a couple of responses that we may have or someone may have in these next three questions. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, do you think that because you're now under the reign of grace that you can just go on sinning like you always have before when you were in the realm of Adam, before salvation? And God's abounding grace will be then glorified by your sin. It's kind of like this. What if I said, what if I said, um, because I love making up with my wife, I'm going to keep having fights with her? That wouldn't make sense, right? 
because I, or a son or a daughter would say, because I love the forgiveness of my father after disobedience, I'm going to keep disobeying my father, my mother. Do you think that God's saving grace gives you freedom from sin, freedom to sin? That's, that's what Paul's asking us here. How can, are we to continue in sin so that grace can abound? We just read in verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do we think that because God's grace abounds every time we sin, that God's grace we put on display and glorified when we sin so that it gives us reason to go on sinning? Do we ever think that way? Well, as I stated that way, you probably think, well, no, I don't, I don't think that way. But maybe we can bring it into language a little closer to home. Do we ever think that because we walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, asked Jesus to come into our heart, made a decision for Christ at camp, that it's okay then to live a worldly life without any substantial concern because of God's superabounding grace? In salvation, do we think that being transferred from one realm into another really won't make that much of a difference in the way we live? What is Paul's answer to that? By no means. That's the strongest negative that Paul could use. In fact, I think the King James Version says what? God forbid. People who have been transferred from the dominion of sin into the reign of grace do not continue in sin like they did while they were under the dominion of sin. They can't. Why? Because Paul says, look, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We have died to sin if we're truly Christians. What does that mean? That means the dominion of sin over us has been destroyed. Slavery to sin has been severed. Those who have died to sin cannot live in the way they always did. There will be a great transformation. And Paul says to us then, the the, the final question there, do you not know? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Do we know, do we understand that Notice, Paul says, all of us. It's not that this has happened to some Christians and not to others. This has happened to every believer, hasn't it? This transfer. Every believer. We've been baptized into Christ Jesus. That, that's, that's shorthand for conversion. We've been, we've been brought into union with Christ. Taken out of death and into life. Out of dominion of sin, into righteousness. We've been born, born again. And notice this, this is what we need to see here too, that Paul is not telling us about something we need to do, is he? When he says that we have died with Christ, died to sin, that's not something we need to do, is it? That's something that what? Has already been done to us. Happened already. Do you know that at your conversion, you were so united to Christ that His death executed your death? Your death to sin? Your death to a life of sin? Your death to the dominion of sin over you? 
and you are brought under the reign of grace so that you're no longer able to go on living in sin like you did before. And I wonder again, is this knowledge making a massive impact on our lives? Paul is addressing our knowledge. Notice. Do you not know? Do you know these things? Do you understand these things? Do we think about them? Do you know that? Think about it this way. Do you know that Christians are to be thinking people? Sometimes maybe the world may look at a Christian and think, well, they're just kind of an emotional group. They sing, they feel good about something, and then live like life like the rest of us. No, no, we're we're to be thinking people. We we come into relationship with Christ by understanding the gospel and trusting in him, not by some vague concept of an event that happened to us, and then we walk on in a blissful ignorance while trudging through life, trying to be moral and nice, hoping God will make our experience pleasant. No, we, we need to think about what Christ has done in our lives. So if we are a true Christian, then through Christ we have died to sin and been raised to newness of life. That's the statement. But what does it mean? What does it mean? And that's where Paul begins to explain here in verses 4-8. through eight. And he does this in three statements. Statement one is verse four. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says the same thing three different times, saying the the principle of death to life three different ways. Verse five is the second statement. If we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And the third statement, verses 6-8, through we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. There's Paul's explanation. Let's look at these. Each each phrase, he focuses on something a little bit different. In in this first first statement, verse 4, he focuses on burial. We were buried with Him. And then he also focuses on being raised from the dead. We were buried with Christ, with Him, by baptism into death. Why does Paul bring up burial? Do you think of yourself as buried with Christ? At conversion, we were united to Christ, right? You became united to Christ. And that union joined us with Him in His death, in His crucifixion. His death affected our severance from slavery to sin. Our death with Him to the slavery of sin brought us right through to a burial with Him. We are joined to Christ in His burial. What does that mean? What what does that mean for our life, our salvation? 
Because our burial with Christ signals a few things. One, it shows us that there was a real death. Isn't that what burial meant? You you weren't buried unless you truly died. A real death to the dominion of sin in our lives. You were buried with Him then. And you know what it means? A permanent death. Burial means no going back. That which is buried doesn't come up out of the grave. Except for Christ and His new life. But our old, our old dominion to sin, where we were in Adam, that was buried and dead. It's permanent. A permanent transition from the dominion of sin to resurrection life. And that's where the verse goes. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, so were we. Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. At conversion, we were not only united with Christ in His death, but also in His resurrection. Our resurrection with Christ was accomplished by the glory of God the Father. Think about that. The the glory of God the Father. The power of God to raise Christ from the dead physically also raised us from the dead spiritually and brought us into a new life. It means that we will be raised someday from the dead literally when we will when we will see Christ face to face, but it also means that even now in our life, there's a spiritual resurrection that brings new results, new obedience, a power of life. And again, you know, this is not something we do, right? I hope you don't think of this as I'm going to go out and I'm going to die to sin and, be, and, and live to, to, to obedience. No, no. This is something that's already done to you in Christ. The second statement here in verse 5 focuses on real union. We have been united with Him in a death like His. We will be united with Him in a resurrection like His. It's a real union. Do you think of yourself as united with Christ? That's, that's a, maybe a, a less common way of talking about salvation, but it's true. You're united with Christ. Spiritually, it's mystical. It's not something you can touch, but it's real. You're united with Christ. How is that possible? I don't feel anything, do you? Well, your union with Christ was planned in eternity by God the Father. It was accomplished in history by God the Son on on the cross and in the tomb and in His resurrection. It's activated, if you will, in your conversion by the Holy Spirit. And it's effective continually in the way you live your life as a Christian. And it guarantees you in the future to be raised from the dead and given a new body like Christ. Union with Christ. That's everything for the Christian. And you think of it this way. Because you are united with Christ, your present death and resurrection is as real as Christ's historic death and resurrection. Your death to sin, your being raised to righteousness is as real as Christ's death and resurrection. Your future resurrection, the accomplishment of your salvation is as real as Christ's 
historic and eternal resurrection. That's what Paul is getting at here. When he says a death like his. A historic event for Christ that has physical form and our death is no less real, though it is spiritual. A resurrection like his. Real, physical form raised from the dead and our resurrection is no less real. And notice he says there, shall be, we shall be united with Him. There's a future element to it that's guaranteed because Christ died, was buried, and rose. And I love the word he puts right in the middle of verse 5 there. Certainly. That's his point. The present and future realities of our redemption are joined unbreakably with the historic redemption, uh, redemptive works of Christ. Did you die to sin's dominion? Do you ever wonder that? Answer the question, did Christ die on the cross? Yes and yes. Will you be raised to eternal life? Was Christ? Yes. And so will you. Am I now raised to a new life of righteousness? Was Christ raised? Yes and yes. Just because we cannot see our own death right now in our burial, in our resurrection, does not mean that we're any less real or certain than Christ's. Paul means us to understand the reality, the effectiveness, and the certainty of our death to sin and life to God in Christ. The third statement, verses 6-8. through And Paul is making an even greater emphasis on our death to sin. He says, we know. We know. Again, showing us that this is so important. We need to take this in and understand it and focus on it and rehearse it. Our old self was crucified with Him. What's our old self? Do you ever get sort of tangled up and confused in, in all the parts that Paul talks about? Old self. new Old man. Old nature. New nature. New self. New man. Let's change our thinking about these things a little bit, and I think this will help us. Don't think of these words as parts of yourself. Or maybe could we say a spiritual anatomy. Don't think of them that way. Think about them as your position or your relationship. Remember, one realm is the realm of Adam. One realm is the realm of Christ. Slavery to sin. Slavery to righteousness. Slavery to the law. Slavery to grace. And so on. If we think of the old man and the new man as parts of us, like, well, I'm, i got this half over here is my old man, here's my new man, and here's my body, and we're going to get all confused. And, and even as you look at Paul's writings, you're going to start creating sort of apparent contradictions. Here's what John Stott said. Maybe this will help. What was crucified with Christ was not part of me, called my old nature. But the whole of me as I was before I was converted. End of quote. That's the idea. The old nature or the old self or the old man is who you were in Adam. Remember Romans 5? That's, that's the old self. It's who you were. The new nature or the new self or the new man is who you are now in Christ. And your position and relationship was changed the moment you were converted through the crucifixion of Christ. 
you move from the old self to the new. The old nature to the new. From Adam to Christ. And it says that that old you was crucified with Christ. It underwent a violent death. When Christ was crucified, He was released from the realm of sin and law and death. And so were you. And that death was purposeful and effectual. Notice, Paul says, that happened in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. There's another thing. What is that? What's the body of sin? It refers to your human, physical life in this fallen world. Though you are in Christ and severed from your old life in Adam, you still live in the world, don't you? So do I. And you live with this body, don't you? And a fallen human, human nature, if you will. And all of that's so prone to sin, is it not? Can you relate to that? We can. But the difference that Paul is pointing out here is that when, that, that when you were converted and united to Christ, your slavery to sin was ended. The tyranny of sin over you was ended. And, and, and where once your body and fallen human nature were continually driven to sin because of who you used to be in Adam, your body and fallen human nature can now be brought under subjection to who you are now in Christ. Your body and fallen humanness no longer need dictate what you think, what you desire, what you do. So that you are what? No longer enslaved to sin. The body of sin is brought to nothing. It doesn't hold tyranny over you any longer. So that you're no longer to be enslaved to sin. Sin is personified here. Paul does that through Romans 6. He makes sin to look like this great and powerful slave master. And it is. Think of that in terms of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. The slave master's sin hires everyone who's born to the world in the realm of Adam. He hires them all. And when he pays you for what you do, what does he pay you in? Death. You want to stay under that slave master? Absolutely not. Christ, you died and were buried and raised with Christ, and you are now severed. The chains that you once bound you to that slave master have been broken. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Who has died? Christ did, and we did in Christ. Therefore, we have been released from slavery to sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will live with Him. Verse 8. Though we fight now to resist the lies and enticements of our old slave master because we still live in this sinful world with our bodies and fallen humanity that's so prone to sin, one day, what? We will live with Christ. There's a future element here. Yes, it has impact on us now, but even now, there's a hope that drives us because one day we won't even have these bodies anymore, will we? That are so prone to sin. We won't live in this world that's so filled with sin. Our fallen humanness will be gone. That's the guarantee. The death of Christ guarantees the resurrection. You're united with Him in His death and will be 
in his in, in the final resurrection as well. Now, somebody might hear all that, and again, that was really so much time you could spend on each one of those phrases. But someone might hear all that and say, wow, okay, I'm dead to the slavery of sin. I'm alive to the slavery of righteousness. That happened the moment I was converted. It was worked in me by the Holy Spirit, accomplished by Christ. Prove it. I don't see anything. And Paul says what you need to look at is the historic redemptive acts of Christ to know that it really happened. And that's what he focuses on in verses 9 and 10. Number three, the principle accomplished. He says there, we know. This is what we know. We know that Christ was raised from the dead. We know that He's not going to die again. We know that Christ will not be dominated by death. We know that Christ died to sin once for all. He died. He accomplished the penalty of sin. He removed the punishment of sin once for all. And He lives unto God. He lives to the glory of the Father. That's what we know about Christ, right? We know that. These are historic realities. It's easy to think about these things in terms of Christ. But then, have you begun to think in just as real terms about these things with your union to Christ? That these things have also happened to you. It is these realities about Christ that literally accomplished our own death to sin and life to God to be able to live for His glory. Our conversion means that union. We're connected with Christ. We're joined with Christ in salvation. His death affected your death in the dominion of sin. His burial affected your burial. His resurrection, yours. So we anchor our confidence about our position and future in our knowledge of what Christ has already done. And since these certainties for Christ and for us are real because we are united to Him. Now, what difference does that make in our lives? Number four, finally. The principle applied. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you? When you think of yourself, do you think, I am severed from dominion to sin? I am severed from the... There's, there's three things in these texts that have dominion over us while we're in Adam. Sin, death, and the law. We'll talk about more about the law on Sunday in Romans 7. You're severed from the dominion of these things in your life. Do you know it? Do you understand it? you consider it to be a reality? Does it make a difference in your life? Bring, do you bring those realities with you right into the moment of temptation? Do you know that these, this principle in Romans 6 is part of the arsenal of the weapons of our warfare that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5? This is a weapon for you. Do you consider these things when you are thinking about using your addiction? Do you consider these things when you are thinking about turning on the screen and looking at pornography? Do you think about these things when you're about to escape from obedience because of anxiety? Do you think about these things when you're about ready to blow up with anger? 
or when you're about to exalt yourself by boasting or slander. You name it. You bring these realities right into your temptation with you. I have been severed from the dominion of sin and I am now under the reign of grace. And so Paul says, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's how you need to think day after day in your battle against sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, he says. We're not going to spend too much time on these applications. Just to, to walk through them, just to read them. Let, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Sin has strong passions. Sin wants your body to obey its passions. And we all know that life in this world and life in these bodies and life in our fallen humanity is riddled with temptations and desire to sin. But he tells us, don't present our human faculties to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Do you, do you think of that? You don't have to. That sounds so far-fetched, doesn't it? You don't have to sin anymore. But it's true. Because you've been severed from that. Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and your conversion forever changed the, 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 the who you were in Adam and you can never go back because the old man is buried. So present your human faculties to God because sin will not have dominion over you. You're not under the law. You are under grace. You've been transferred from the powerful tyranny of sin and death and the law. And you're under the infinitely more powerful lordship of grace and righteousness and life. If you're a true Christian, you have died to sin and been raised to newness of life. That's the powerful effect of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, this, this text, in, in closing, this text can have so many powerful effects on a person. Do you know this text can expose false believers? How? Because someone might say, oh, I'm, I'm religious, I, I prayed the prayer, I signed the card, I did this and did this, but that person's life is still enslaved to sin. They're not growing in righteousness. What does that mean? How can, you, how could a, can a person still live as a slave to sin and be dead to it? That's impossible. What did the death and burial and resurrection of Christ affect in someone's life? They've died to sin and been raised in newness of life. That's a change that is impossible not to make itself evident. But this also excites the true believer, doesn't it? Because when you see changes all over your life, you're a different person inside and out. Yes, you still sin. But righteousness is your increasing experience. And you know that you have access to the, the powerful grace of God to resist sin and give yourself to live for the glory of God. You have died to sin. This, this encourages battling believers. Maybe that's all of us. This is a victory banner for the believer who has felt defeated. Because it guarantees conquest. This is the... Maybe we could say this way, this is the Father's embrace. This is the Father's ring and robe for the believer who has felt guilty. You are dead to sin. You are dead to the law. And you are alive to grace and righteousness. This is the shot in the arm for the believer who has resorted to self-pity 
Oh, never going to get through this. Yes, you have died to sin. You've died to the dominion of sin and you've been raised to righteousness. This is the spur in the side of the believer who has become apathetic in the war against sin. Because look what Christ has done. And there's an effect that He promises in His purpose. So we are called in this text to know. To know this. To understand it. To consider it. And to present ourselves to the righteousness of Christ and the glory of God. Well, let's pray together this evening. Father, <clears throat> these are things that we, we need to know and understand and dig deeply in, and we pray that You would help us to understand them, that we would recur to this text and think about it deeply in daily life and rejoice in it because You have done it from beginning to end. You have done it. And we long to see the effect that it makes in our lives. May we, as this text says, bring glory to You in walking in newness of life and living unto You. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for dying for us, being buried, and rising again to effect these changes in our lives. We thank You. And we pray in Your name. Amen.